Welcome to the Physiatry Mentors. I'm Dr. Sheena Buba. I'm Dr. Benita Williams. And I'm Kristen Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> and together, we are now. <laughs> oh, yeah, y'all too. Yes. Yeah. As Benita. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll cut this anyway. So, all right. So, welcome to the Physiatry Mentors. I'm Dr. Sheena Buda. I'm Dr. Benicia Williams. And together we are Shanisha. Shanisha. <laughs> oh, <was> so good. <laughs> right, so, today we're going to switch gears. I know we've been doing a lot of like sports and spying recently, which is what Dr. Williams and I do. So, we know you know a lot of contacts in there. But we also have our dear friend, Dr. Kristen Taylor, joining us today. She is a pediatric rehabilitation specialist at Cook's Children. So we are very excited to hear more about her subspecialty. So welcome. Yay. Yay. So yes, Dr. Kristen Taylor and I have been friends for over 10 years. We did our master's in medical school with each other and we share the same mentor in as Sheena does as well with in Dr. Omar Salad. Um, so Kristen, tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you're from and where you did your training and all the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. So I am from the Dallas-Fort Worth area group in Arlington. I did undergrad at North Texas, and then I did the master's program with Benicia at UNT HSC in Fort Worth, and then did med school at TCOM. So I am a DO. Um, did my intern year in St. Petersburg, Florida, which was just terrible living on the beach. Um, <laughs> literally, literally stood right I, on the beach. Yeah, I lived on the beach. It was awful. Um, and then I, I made the big transition up to Chicago to go do residency at the Rehab Institute of Chicago slash Northwestern slash Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. Um, because why not? And then I did my fellowship down at UT Southwestern at Dallas Children's Health and am now an attending at Cook. Just a whirlwind of adventure. Yeah. been everywhere. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, so residents, they are required a, I think, two months now of um, pediatric rehab during their um, training. And I know Benicia and I, we, we loved our rotations, but it was also super sad at some times. You'd see these like, two-year-olds with um, non-traumatic brain injuries or from um, anoxic brain injuries from swimming and spinal cord injuries, all these, you know, really, really sad diagnoses. But they were so resilient and they made, you know, oftentimes great um, progress. So um, tell us a little bit about, you know, why did you go into this field and you know, what, what are the kind of patients you see and what all do you do? So I agree with you. A lot of it can seem sad because you start to realize that bad things happen. The same bad things that happen to adults can happen to kids and they, you feel like you've lost so much potential in the child's future. But, um, Part of what makes me love Pete's rehab is that you can see how they recover and kids just tend to bounce back a little bit better than adults. If it's um, a previously typically developing child who is now has a new onset disability like drowning or non-accidental trauma, um, even spinal cord injury, like some of the best parts of the job are like the first time you put like a two-year-old in a wheelchair and you put their little hands on the wheels and you're like mm -hmm. forward, backward, forward, backward, turn, turn. And then you take their hands off and they're like, okay, all right, here we go. Mom, come on. <laughs> so that's kind of the best part is seeing how they kind of adapt to their new life and their new independence. And in all honesty, the, it's, the kids aren't bothered. It's the parents that are bothered. So it's a lot of education for parents on just 
adapting to the new normal and teaching that kiddo like this is how your life is going to be but you can still like here's rugby here's basketball here's soccer um all the all the things that they can still do it so it's focusing on their future abilities not their disabilities um the majority right yeah it's the best <laughs> yeah. um, so the majority of my time is spent on what I call the bread and butter, which is cerebral palsy, spina bifida. Um, I'm in cerebral palsy clinic two days a week with, it's a multidisciplinary clinic with orthopedics, physical therapy, um, an orthotist and myself, um, making sure that the kiddos, you know, we aren't developing hip problems, they aren't developing spine problems, they have all the proper equipment and orthotics that they need, um, just kind of guiding their growth especially around the four, five, six growth spurt, and then again at the 10, 11, 12 growth spurt. Um, spina bifida kids, it's multidisciplinary with neurosurgery, neurology, myself, urology for their neurogenic bowel and bladder management, um, orthotics, and a physical therapist again. Um, so just making sure that those kids, you know, are achieving as many goals as possible and that whatever their goal is my goal. So if they want to go from being a chair user to being a walker, that we get them their KFOs and make sure that they're all set. Um, and then, of course, both cerebral palsy kids and spina bifida kids have their own camps. So making sure that they're tied in with their community, tied in with other kids that have similar disabilities so that they can ask those questions about growing up and expectations and all the, the birds and the bees and <laughs> kind of just living that life of having peers that are similarly abled as them. Um, otherwise, I would say the majority of my consults come from like neurology. So kids that have Lennox-Gastaut syndrome or Dravet syndrome and have a lot of hypotonia, so low muscle tone, making sure that they have their proper orthotics and wearable equipment that allow them to sit upright and participate better in their home environment or at school. Um, and then just everybody else is kind of a hodgepodge. I, Texted Benicia this week at a 15 year old with a foot drop. He's a big old football player and had a ridiculopathy with a new foot drop. I'm like, oh God, this is an adult problem. Like, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> I said, like, well, that's easy. <laughs> so lots of Botox injections. And then I am one of two docs at Cook that can do nerve conduction studies and EMGs, um, which sounds terrible, but it's not as bad on kids as it is on adults because you can get their readings at like a quarter of the power as an adult. So I tell them it feels like a slap bracelet, as easy as it gets. Do they know what that is? Yeah, <laughs> so, well, so, or boys, you can tell them that the boys, if they put their tongue on a nine volt battery, that like any boy over six is like, yeah. And you're like, stop. But they, it's, they understand pretty easily. And then we of course have child life specialists and therapy dogs who are there for all of our visits to make sure that like, I, I know. Of my visit. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, um, consult Steve. So tell us more about your fellowship process, how long it was, and yeah. what type of advice you have to people who want to go into pediatric rehab. Um, so fellowship, I did, there, you have a bunch of options with peds. It's one of the few where if you are a medical student or pre-med and you're like, I want to do peds rehab, I, there's nothing else I would rather do then there are combined programs where you can do a five-year program, which you would graduate with both board certification in adult PM&R and PEDS pm &R. Um, I did not do that path because I did not know with certainty that I wanted to do PEDS rehab. I knew it was one of my top choices, but. Um, How many of those programs are there? There are, I believe, three or four in the nation. Okay, it's like Denver, okay. Cincinnati, 
And then there's a couple, I think, on the East Coast. Maybe Michigan, um, I don't remember that. Yeah, maybe Jefferson, I don't remember. I did the traditional four-year adult PMR residency and then matched into a two-year fellowship, so six years combined. Um, I think it is one of the only, right, it's the only fellowship out of PMR that's two years. Yep. Brutal. Um, PGY-6. <laughs> yep, PGY-6. It was uh, not super exciting, but there we are. So I did a two-year fellowship. Um, anybody who's looking into going into a PEDS or if PEDS is like in your top three fellowships that you're going into a PMNR residency, I would say making sure that your potential residency match has a great option for pediatrics. I know some programs only have outpatient PEDS experience, some only have inpatient PEDS experience. So making sure that you get exposure to both inpatient and outpatient so you can figure out if you like the entire scope of practice. Um, and then of course, if your program has electives, making sure that you're doing your electives in something pediatrics. Um, I know a lot of programs don't give you any electives, so then it's kind of on you to take the initiative and try to men get a mentor that's a pediatric rehab doc or um, shadow a pediatric rehab doc so you gain that exposure. How many programs are there? Um, so it's, it's a weird system because some programs take one fellow every year. Some take two fellows every other year. So it's usually between 13 and 16 slots per year. Um, that kind of depending on the cycle. Um, and then starting, there's a push now. Some programs are starting to push um, to allow pediatrics residents, so not PM&R, but pediatrics residents to be able to fill pediatric PM&R positions. So not every program is doing that, but some programs are allowing pediatrics residents to fill those slots because a lot of years those slots go unfilled. Um, it's not a huge draw to do, as my one of my former co-residents would say, to do two extra years of work to get paid less. So, you know, all of our kids, yeah, it's all about the reward. Yeah, yeah, but. I would say 80% of the kids I see have Medicaid because they're chronically disabled. So. Um, it's it's more about following your passion, following your heart. If this is something that you truly love, um, as my mom would say, you're not choosing between wealth and poverty. You're choosing to follow your heart and follow your dreams. So, yeah, it's a true is a calling, and we think you are amazing because the little kids are friends. so cute. They are so cute. The tiny little AFOs and the tiny little wheelchairs. Oh, wheelchairs. Oh. I know. I still remember. My patient and on our residency like rotation two-year-old in her wheelchair oh my gosh she was so mobile she was awesome. like yeah <laughs> you're like gone right yeah. they're, they're so resilient it's amazing yeah, yeah. Right. um i'm sorry i was asking another question about the fellowship practice. how many program i know i asked how many there were would you recommend that people apply to all the programs like a large number no, um, okay. I, I think that, so I only applied to three and I interviewed at three. Um, yeah. It's, again, the spots don't really fill consistently. Yeah. So uh, I know that it's getting more and more competitive each year. And so like this past year, I had some friends that interviewed at like six or seven places, but most most people I know, they match into one of their top two choices. Um, particularly if, if the person knows that you have family, like if the program knows you have family in the area, or if the program knows that you're a potential future employee of that position. They they look at your fellowship as almost like 
a trial run of being a coworker. So if, if you have ties to the area or if you want to build ties to that area, they are pretty eager to have you. Finding a job with Peds Rehab is very not difficult. Um, there are th like about 320 Peds PM&R folks in the nation. So, um, and they tend to cluster, you know, like Dallas has six pediatric rehab docs. Um, I came from Chicago where there were like five or six. So they tend to cluster. Fort Worth has how many? That's one and only, <laughs> one and only. And let me brag on you because Kristen is the first pediatric team in our doctor at Cook's, which is a really, really big deal. And she's making huge splashes over there. Yeah, yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did you set up your own department? How did that job, you know, come about? What are some of the struggles you've had? And um, yeah, just a little bit about your experience with kind of setting up that all, all, all on your own. Yeah, so um, I actually rotated. I am I am under the neurology umbrella at Cook Children's. So I'm their first ever. The hospital's 102 years old, um, but has never had PEDS-PMR before, and they have a PEDS rehab unit that has previously been run by the neurology group. So I actually work with those neurologists, um, and I rotated with them as a medical student, and I kept telling them over and over, you, you need PEDS rehab, you need PEDS rehab, and they kept telling me, like, nope, you need to be a neurologist. <laughs> you should be a neurologist. really don't like seizures. Seizures are not my jam. So I went and did all my training and throughout my entire kind of residency. And then once I got to Dallas, which is only about 45 minutes away from Cook, um, we just kept the team Dallas really supported me in coming over to Cook. And so when Cook would put on a neurosciences conference, the entire Dallas team would show up and, you know, we would ask very like rehab specific questions. So what FEM games are you documenting in these patients? Are you doing any research studies on outcomes? Are you using electrical stimulation or robotic technology? Just very PM&R specific questions to reiterate the importance of a different perspective. Um, and so throughout all of that, I kind of badgered and annoyed my way into an interview. And then I, after my uh, interview with that group, they were like, so I guess we should invent the position for you. So um, yes, you yeah, and so, I started about a year ago now um, as their first rehab doc. And um, I would say about 90% of my job is outpatient clinic, but the goal is ultimately to build up that inpatient portion to be more comprehensive. So, you know, meeting with the hematologist oncologist group to talk about cancer rehab and prehab to make sure that the kids are strong enough to go through their treatments, meeting up with the cardiac cardiologist and the cardiothoracic surgeons to talk about post-cardiac rehab in the kids that need an LVAD or have been on ECMO for sustained periods, um, working with the orthopedists on their complex scoliosis repair surgeries to make sure that those kids have optimal outcomes and are leaving the hospital seven days after surgery rather than camping. You know, I know a lot of hospitals, even hospitals in Texas, where they'll do a complex spinal fusion surgery and they anticipate the kids being in the hospital for three to five months. So that is just... <laughs> brutal for families. I mean, because that's the thing as a peds rehab doc is you have to, it's not just the patient, it's the family. Like what happens to the, the sibling? What happens to the mom? Um, what about their school life? What about their friends? How do you celebrate a birthday in the hospital for a five-year-old? Um, so just all these other questions that kind of come into mind when you're talking about children to make sure that their quality of life is as normalized as possible and that you're reducing the PTSD associated with these multiple prolonged surgeries. Do you feel like, 
they've realized your worth over the last year? Mostly. (laughs) (laughs) I still, I still definitely think, you know, I, I broach topics like robotics or I broach topics like virtual reality. Um, things like that, that they're like, oh, that just sounds expensive. And I'm like, mm. I mean, but if it gets the kids out of the hospital three days sooner, why not? If it gets the kids to participate in therapy, you know, 20% more, so we can cut down on the number of visits by 20% and save the system money. Like it's, it's all about presenting things in a way that, you know, a lot of people like to focus on the immediate circle, but everything has a ripple. So realizing what that ripple is going to be and how you just, it's all about selling, right? Just anything with business and medicine, it's all about how you sell it. Um, So taking two steps back and saying, I can see how it's going to be, you know, an $800,000 piece of equipment that I'm asking you for. But what I'm telling you is that in the future, we'll be able to save 20% of visits. Let's look at how much money we lose by having 20% extra visits. So I think that is excellent advice. Like in any specialty in our in our field right so i had to you know kind of convince my uh group to give me an ultrasound machine and can i show them like like numbers you know this is how much money we would make off of this and how much money we're losing by having to send these injections out to a different practice so i think that's great that you have taken that initiative to kind of show them show them your worth and i know you've been doing a lot of outreach you've talked to all the different subspecialties and one of my friends the pediatrician in fort worth dr miriam alexander and she attended one of your talks and i remember her being just super impressed with with what you do and excited to kind of have you there. So I'm proud of you. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Every opportunity you get. Exactly. Every opportunity you get to do like a grand rounds presentation or going to, you know, the hospitalists have a monthly business meeting. And so just emailing that group to say, can I have five minutes of your time? And just going in and saying, hey, you guys are doing an awesome job. I just want to give you a heads up that, you know, if you're having a, a hard time with getting these kids out of the hospital because of equipment, or if you're having a hard time getting these kids out of the hospital, waiting for home health therapies, ring me in. I'd love to help you guys. That's exactly, I know you guys hate doing that paperwork all day long. I'm happy to do it. And I know where to go to get it done. So mm-hmm. um, I went to Kristen's grand rounds in February and it was great. And I think I'm sure you probably got a lot of consults from this just from general pediatricians. And she kind of educated people about how, when to order equipment, like when not to order equipment, how long, what uh, Medicare, me- Medicaid will pay for and what they won't pay for if you order yeah. the wrong thing. So I'm sure they appreciated that um, information and hopefully they've utilized you for that. Yeah, that's um, one of the biggest consults I get, especially out of the what we call the NEST clinic, which is that NICU follow-up clinic. So kids that are high risk for future mm-hmm. cerebral palsy or developmental delay, and um, I get a lot of consults from them just asking me, like, can you just take over their equipment? Because I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> um, because insurance, you know, if you order something, if you order an activity seat, they view that as a wheelchair. And it's like, no, it doesn't even have wheels on it. It's an activity seat. And so, yeah, that's just, it's a high chair. Um, so just making sure that you're aware of the rules and regulations in regards to insurance. Again, for when you're considering like where you want to do fellowship or where you potentially want to work. I think part of my strength is that I did my fellowship in Texas and I knew I wanted to practice in Texas. So I got really familiar with Texas Medicaid rules, which are different than Chicago, which are different than Florida. And so it's kind of becoming aware of the rules that you're going to be bound by once you're practicing, because, you know, if I would have stayed in Chicago where 
you can ask for the stars and the moon and somehow it all happened. Um, and then I came to Texas and was like, what do you mean I can't order that? Like, I think that would have been a big learning curve and I probably would have hurt some of my patients and that I would have ordered things that weren't ever going to be, like I would have promised the stars and under delivered. Um, so another thing to consider when you're looking at programs and like where you potentially see yourself practicing in the future is getting used to the rules and the limits that you are going to be working in. And that's huge. Um, shall we switch topics Let's a little bit? Do it. Okay. <laughs> so um, as I said, I'm fortunate enough to have known Kristen for a long time. We work in the same city. We, our offices used to be across the street from each other when um, she first started before I moved and became bougie and went to Claire Force. <laughs> um, so she is very passionate about cannabis. She was very integral in having the bill passed in Texas to allow spasticity to be treated with um, CBD. So I'll let her talk a little bit more, more about that. Like I've registered, I have several patients on it and they're doing great by the way. So I thank you for that education. Of course. But, um, yes, go ahead and tell us a little bit about that and how the bill came about and um, just your passion. Yeah, so I got um, interested in CBD as a medication and really um, I am probably more liberal in the world of cannabis as medicine. I prefer whole plant extract versus CBD. But again, with working with what you've got, I am in a very conservative state. So starting with CBD and uh, planting seeds for future growth, pardon the pun. Um, but <laughs> um, so I got interested in cannabis as medicine kind of um, looking at the research that was coming out of Europe and Canada on um, a medication called Sativex, which is not approved in the United States, but it's 50% CBD, 50% THC. And when you look at the research studies on Sativex coming out, um, especially in regards to multiple sclerosis, spinal cord injury, neuropathic pain, stroke, ALS, Parkinson's, um, it's it's got a better side effect profile and it's better tolerated than a lot of the medications that we're currently using um, here in the United States. Um, and a lot of our medicines that we're currently using in the United States have additional side effects like constipation, which every single patient that has any of those conditions is already struggling with versus CBD, which is an oil. So if anything, it's a, a laxative. Um, and so it's, it's, more favored by the patients. They tend to have an overall better, better experience on the medicine, even if the reduction in spasticity or reduction in pain is equivalent to baclofen or gabapentin, the side effect profile is better tolerated by those patients. And so they prefer um, using CBD or THC. Um, so I came from Chicago where it was already legal to be using in a medical sense, which they've since broadened it even further. But um, coming from Chicago and seeing patients doing really well on it, I moved back to Texas and it was very frustrating for me because essentially when I very first started fellowship in Dallas, if, if a patient asked, we were not allowed to bring it up at all. Um, and that was a hospital policy. But if a patient brought it up to us, we were supposed to kind of shut it down or slam it down. And so I would take off my badge and be like, well, I'm not here as your physician, but I'm here as a friend. Um, and so I, that kind of bothered me because you know, you know that there's another option out there, but your hands are tied behind your back by a system. And I don't do well with that. Um, so I started working with one of our state representatives, Stephanie Click, and she actually uh, wrote the original legislation that introduced CBD to the state of Texas about five or six years ago to allow CBD for the use of intractable epilepsy, um, which she worked with. She's a former nurse who became a state, state representative, and she was working with Scott Perry, who's actually the boss of the neurosciences division at Cook Children's. 
So they actually wrote the original legislation to introduce CBD oil for intractable epilepsy. Um, and then I started working with her during my fellowship to introduce and broaden other diagnoses that should be allowed under the Compassionate Use Program um, to include things like ALS or neurodegenerative diseases, spasticity, neuropathic pain, PTSD, depression. Um, and so she and I wrote some legislation together and I went down to Austin to testify in front of um, the representatives on the panel to, you know, I, I brought families with, there were like families of kids that had cerebral palsy, families of kids that have intractable epilepsy, families of kids with PTSD and anxiety, all of us testifying together to say how this medicine has helped. Um, and ultimately the bill passed with flying colors. So as of, um, let's see, June of 2019, so about a year ago, <laughs> Texas introduced legislation that does allow pure CBD, no THC, to be used um, on a select list of medical conditions. And now I have tied in with Compassionate Cultivation, which is Texas's only um, dispensary that's based here in the state that they produce the CBD. Um, and so I've partnered with them and we're starting to introduce some new legislation that would allow for smaller amounts of THC because as the Sativex study showed, the people tend to do better. They actually did comparative studies of pure CBD versus CBD with THC and the CBD and THC does better together. Um, again, it's like picking a multivitamin versus eating a vegetable, right? So like the apple has, apple or vegetable has more nutrients and more cohesive nature to benefit you better than a Flintstones multivitamin. Not to say the Flintstones isn't good, it's just that the fruit and vegetable is better. So I, I have the same mentality for a whole plant, which is as long as the plant is well controlled and well studied, we should be able to extract all of those phytonutrients from the plant and they should work together to amplify the, the benefit to the patient. So it's, it's still in the works, but it's very, very tiny steps forward for the state of Texas. It's huge. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So over the counter CBD sold in Texas has 0.3 percent less or is it 0.3 milligrams of THC has to have less than that yeah where CBD prescription can have like 0.5 it's just a little bit more but the CBD is what is very pure and yes. um, clean yeah and compassionate cult I'm not sure if you guys are following That's with easy. compassionate cultivation That's but easy. yeah perfect so they they're introducing a whole plant extract soon it's coming soon Oh, I can't um, wait to, we gotta go on our field trip still. I know we're gonna go, go down to oh, Manchaca, yeah. Texas, to visit the uh, the gardens. Yeah. So COVID messed us up. Yeah, but anyway, it's uh, it's it's coming down the pipelines. It's just moving very slowly, and you know, you think hospital time is slow, but government time is even slower. So it just takes patience and a lot of diligence and finding the right, like for me, finding the right patient and mom. To go testify and bring and introduce to the right people to say, you know, these aren't kids that are out there getting high, or these aren't kids that are out there that because everyone's like, well, impaired driving, and I'm like, mm, my kid's never gonna. Not a worry. Yeah, my my kids don't walk, so we're not drink driving. Right. Um, but just introducing to you know and saying, I understand that you have these concerns, so let's restrict it you can't have a driver's license if you're taking this medicine, that's fine, but at least that's a first step. And you have to kind of give that first step so that you can get the next step, so that you can get the, it's just working within. Right, boundaries, now that makes sense. Yeah, yeah especially because we all know the side, side effect profile of opioids and even bacopin gabapentin are not great. So yep. 
what we have yeah. to work with. So to have another option, you know, I treat a lot of geriatric patients and I can't wait to be able to prescribe it. Like I'll recommend it over the counter, but I'm like to be able to prescribe it for this. I think it's, they're a great population to be able to use it for. Yeah, because it helps with arthritis. It helps with behavior yeah. disorders and patients with dementia. Yeah, and they can't helps. take opioids, right? No. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and they all, they all have constipation issues too. So yeah, um, it's it's multifaceted. So Absolutely. I think as long as you're you know as long as the physicians are smart and monitoring LFTs and making sure that you're not you know if you're going to put a patient on it that it's not interacting with their seizure medicine or interacting with um, their Coumadin levels. Like you just have to be smart, just like with any other medicine. It's like if you're going to put somebody on Cipro, you have to make sure that all the other thing like they stop the Tizanidine and like it's medicine it's being smart with with the drugs that you're recommending okay, let's open it up for questions from the audience we have one here so a tender says hi dr taylor any advice for a medical student going into a peds pmr rotation like any books or anything like that any resources do you have that's a good question so there's one peds pmr book <laughs> by dr matthews um, but it's like an actual textbook of like 16 chapters and um, that sort of thing. So I don't tend to recommend it unless you've selected this field. But um, to me, the best thing that to do is to go to the American Academy of Cerebral Palsy and Developmental Medicine, AACPDM.org. Um, and that's the big organization that is um, a nice governing body for you. And there's Care Pathways. It's like a tab up on the corner of the screen. It's called Care Pathways. It goes through all the different types of cerebral palsy, what the different types look like, and then how they're treated differently. Um, it also has like hypotonia. So if you're dealing with a low muscle tone, how you can best help those kids. Um, and then spina bifida, of course, it's just like spinal cord medicine. So knowing, you know, at, if they have a spina bifida at L2, what does that mean in terms of their leg function? What does that mean in terms of future ambulatory potential? So just kind of brushing up on. Exactly. All your board's questions of, um, I mean, because I get NICU consults on spina bifida babies. And of course, the, the number one question that every newborn parent wants to know is, are they ever going to walk? Are they ever going to play sports? Are they ever? And so to know what the answer is, even upon seeing a two-day-old infant, whether or not that infant has potential to future walk will greatly change the conversation that you have with those parents. And I, you know, I think about us in medical school as we have, there's four of us that were really good friends and we all went into rehab and we all have kind of similar personalities and being a rehab doctor, like you have to be more, a little bit more upbeat because you will typically meet people on the worst day of their life. I tell people down in the hospital, I'm like, but you have to be that ray of hope to let them know like, Hey, this is what I do. This is what I treat. We will be friends forever. And mm -hmm. these are the outcomes I see. Like you will get past this. You will have a life past this. It's just going to be different than the life you lived before this. So absolutely. Um, and I think that's what pediatric rehab does a great job for sure yep. doing. I get that all the to me. Like to me, that's one of the best parts is that by the time somebody brings me mm -hmm. in, they're like, I've never even heard. Of, I didn't know that rehab doctors were a thing. And I'm like, Yep, I'm Plan Z. Like <laughs> I am. What happens when A through Y? didn't happen and now you need me. Um, but I very often get told by my, especially the inpatient consults, you know, the kids that have um, NMDA encephalitis and I'm the first person that comes in and talks about the future. 
So mm -hmm. every single person up until that point has either had the doom and gloom talk with your child will never, they will never sit up, they will never walk, they will never eat, they will never smile, they will never talk. And I'm the first person that gets brought into the patient's room and I start talking about, we're gonna introduce speech therapy so we can work on taste. I'm gonna be introducing physical therapy so we can get them up and standing again. Next thing will be you know, advancing their legs to get them to try to walk again. Um, I'm going to bring vision therapy services in to try to get them to track so we can make sure that they're able to look at your face and communicate with their face. Like I am the first one that presents a future for them. And every time the parents are like, you're the first one that isn't sad. You're the first one that I don't dread when you walk in the door because you're the first one that tells us like, okay, there's a tomorrow. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, this is the plan. This is what yep. we're doing. Yep. Yeah. And here's how like mom and dad. You know, therapy is great, but massage is great. Bath time is great. Here's what you can do to help. Um, and so it makes the parents feel productive, like they're actually helping their child achieve something in the hospital mm -hmm. setting, which it's is huge. It's huge. So, yeah, I know it's crazy how small our field is. Um, and just, I'm glad we're doing this. And I'm glad that people who are not in PMN are also watching just to give more exposure. I had cut cotton consult on a patient recently and he was a spinal cord injury from 30 years ago. And I walk in and his knees are up here and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, how does this happen? Right? I'm like, I'm like, you went to a rehab hospital and you never saw a rehab doctor after that. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So this is so preventable. Like it breaks my heart. So mm -hmm. anyone that's watching, if you have a spinal cord injury patient, they should see a rehab doctor. Yeah. If you've had a stroke, you should see a rehab doctor. Anything yeah. affects quality and function, right? Yep. Literally anything. That's down yeah. to back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain, and everything. So severe. Yeah, everything. Like that is and what we do. That's. I had a um a family that was in a car accident on Thanksgiving Day, and both my patient became a cervical spinal cord injury, but he's actually doing, he had a halo for a while and did great. He's an Asia D now. So walking and talking and doing really well, but mom is an Asia A and she's a para. And so I actually met um, dad because mom was in the hospital the whole time. And at follow-up, I said, you know, I went through my whole spiel of like neuropathic pain and bladder and everything like that. And at the end I looked at dad and I was like, well, how's mom? And he's like, well, you know, we're just struggling because she's still incontinent. And I was like, oh, well, who's managing that for you? And he mentioned a urologist. And I was like, no, but like, who's managing everything else? No, the urologist. And I was like, what, what wheelchair does she have? Well, the, the hospital let us take one of theirs until the insurance. And you're like, what? <laughs> I know, like, nothing I think pisses us off more than seeing something like that that is so preventable. You're like, yeah, and so I actually sent that patient to Benicia's partner, Lan Lee. Um, I was like, please, please, please stop going to that urologist. That is, that is inappropriate. Um, so just making sure that, you know, again, your patients have every opportunity to improve their functional level, but also to make sure that somebody is taking a bigger picture uh, like a step back and saying, what about everything else, right? So like I, I finish every single one of my new patient visits with who's their eye doctor? Who's their dentist? Do you have a disability parking placard? Just little things that everyone else assumes that someone else is doing it. Because um, right, my kids are drooly messes. They're, they're on anti-epileptics that affect their dentition. They're on tri, you know, tetracycline 
four times a year for their lung infections. It's like, who's your dentist? And they're like, oh, neighborhood Joe over there. And you're like, does neighborhood Joe like actually clean their teeth? Or like, how is this happening? Well, he bites them. So we just put fluoride on the front. And you're like, no, these are, <laughs> these are the kids that get the cavities the worst. So right. let's sedate the kid and let's get you to a real dentist who knows what they're doing with it. But again, it's rehab. It's taking a step back and looking at everything that has an impact on quality of life and function and making sure that everything that you're doing today is teeing them up for the best tomorrow. Very nice. That's Her mom good. says, you're like their rainbow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the rainbow. Yeah. And then, of course, it's Peds Rehab. So every Friday, I wear dinosaurs. And there's like rainbows all over my office. And I have a treasure chest for my Botox kids that they get to pick out like oh. a little race car or a toy oh. dinosaur or bubbles, even though bubbles aren't allowed right now because they're little yeah. vectors of COVID. <laughs> a, little a little COVID bubble. <laughs> um, but yeah, just making the job fun in whatever way we can with making sure that the kids don't absolutely dread their appointment with you and that moms know that you're thinking about their happiness all the time. And I, that's uh, something else I've appreciated just being through Pete's rehab is like, the patients and the mom, they thoroughly look forward to coming to the pediatric rehab doctor mm -hmm. appointment. Like the kids are so excited to see, because you see them forever, right? Ever. Like, yeah. and seeing them grow up, it's just, it's a trip, so. Yeah, the oh. hardest part is graduating them out. Oh, I bet you're so sad. Yep. So, it's okay, I have a great chance to transition them to. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned COVID, have you seen any manifestations of that in, in your patients? Um, so we have had about nine of those, like the MISC kids, the inflammatory kids. Um, a lot of them are going to need us in the future because they're like still on ECMO. Um, and some of them have had strokes from the ECMO. So it's, it's all kind of coming down the line. But luckily for a majority of the kids that get hospitalized, not very many get hospitalized. And of the ones that do get hospitalized, so many of them get better with basic medical care, um, fluids, albuterol, that sort of thing. Um, but the MISC kids and then what's coming out of Europe right now on those inflammatory kids is that we're starting to see necrotizing encephalitis associated with that or Guillain-Barre is associated with that. And then um, every other year, so like 2014, 16, 18, and now 2020, we, we're anticipating a spike in acute flaccid myelitis, which is that polio-like illness that we see. So, um, and it, the AFM season actually started, starts now, it's in June. Um, and so we actually just had a big AFM like national meeting put on by Kennedy Krieger Institute that was all virtual, but they're talking a lot about don't get confused with COVID neuropathies and AFM. So do the images, make sure you're diagnosing the right thing. Um, so definitely seeing a lot of, not a lot, but seeing some severe neuropathy cases associated with these inflammatory conditions and post-viral conditions. Interesting. All right, yep. guys, any more questions from the audience? Yeah, yeah. No, we're not gonna forget today, Benicia. We are not. We're prepared because <laughs> we forgot yet. We asked ninety percent of our, <laughs> more like eighty-five, 70% percent of our guests. If you were not a rehab doctor, what would you be? Um. So, if I was gonna be still medical, but not you can rehab, go both ways. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I was going to still be medical, but not rehab, um, one of my co-residents and I always said that we wanted to open up like an animal sanctuary and do rehab for like three-legged animals and like 3D plastic printed limbs for the cows and the elephants. And like, that was like, yeah, you see those like the underwater treadmills for the like obese dogs and cats. I'm like, yes. So I, that's, that's like the dream. That could be a retirement job. <laughs> Absolutely. Animal take all my money. Um, <laughs> I'm like, just give me all the animals. That's fine. All of them. I'll take them. All of them. All 82 cats. That's fine. Um, so that's my medical job. If I wasn't doing anything medical, I would probably work at Disney World um, because it's the happiest place on earth. So. <laughs> that's the best answer we've had. <laughs> Disney World, man. Very good. Thank you for taking the time out, friends. Of course, friends. Yay. This was a great discussion. Thank you. On it was. A lot of topics, so that's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm giving a lecture on CBD to the Baylor residents. Next week, I'll send you guys the lecture. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to send you some stuff. If I have I did. I, I made it. I made it. I made okay, it. So I'm going to take a look. Yeah, I did it last weekend. Yeah. So, it's um, definitely an interesting topic. It's a hot topic. And I think people need to learn about it because we didn't really we didn't learn about it no. in the residency. So I think it's everything I know. I I did my own research. So yeah, um, it's a wave of the future. It is. So you got to be on top of that wave. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining. So next week we've got our other doubleheader. Um, on Saturday we have Dr. Stephanie Tao. She is she actually did a fellowship in pediatric rehab and then did another fellowship after in sports medicine. So. Um, she's also one of the team physicians for the Paralympic um, swim team. So we'll kind of go into detail about that and see how, how she's doing. I think she's also going to be coming back to Dallas, I believe. Yep. She starts at, um, she's doing, it's like 50% at Dallas Children's, 50% at Scottish Rite. Oh, nice. And then on Sunday, we have Dr. Charlie Kenyon. He's a PGY4 at University of Washington. <laughs> Um, and we'll, he'll go into a little bit of detail about how his fourth year is going and we'll go, we'll talk about um, studying for boards and give him some advice and we'll have a special giveaway for that. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> awesome, guys. Hey, everyone have a wonderful Sunday and um, thanks for joining us. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day.